We're in. Screen Heat Miami. Yes, yes, yes. Another one. Another one, son. Another one. <laughs> Another one. <laughs> Every week. We're going to callow this bad boy up. You think there can't be any more excitement from something like the Joker? The Joker has everyone in stitches, literally. Literally. Wow. So we were speaking last week about box office, how this would be the week that Joker would be toppled at the box office by Maleficent 2. There was a toppling, but it was a soft topple. So uh, we had, uh, we had, the industry had estimated that uh, Maleficent sequel was supposed to bring in somewhere in the neighborhood of 45 million and, uh, you know, Joker would be somewhere in the 20s. And it didn't happen quite as expected. Soft domestic opening, uh, $35 million for Maleficent 2, and almost $30 million for The Joker, which is now on track to make almost a billion dollars worldwide. Over $800 million, three weeks. Insanity. Joker is killing it. He is laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> He is uh, he, he's doing what he needs to do because and it's a picture that, I, you know, I don't think they had as big of expectation. Obviously, anytime you're dealing with a superhero franchise, there is yeah. expectations. But, you know, relatively small budget. I saw in box office mojo at around 55 million. Yeah. You know, uh, shot more like an indie film, like a straight up psychological drama than anything else. And it has just destroyed the box office. And I was just talking to my, one of my students. If you haven't looked up Todd Phillips, he's not directed anything like this before. No. I mean, known for comedy, The Hangover, that kind of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, Starsky and Hutch. More action-y kind of mainstream fare. He did War Dogs. So War I Dogs. guess he was leaning in that direction. But War Dogs was still... It had some comedic elements. It had a elements. comedic el- And I guess technically you can say Joker, too. It deals with stand-up comedy. <laughs> yeah, and, but that shit and was a clown. not funny. <laughs> so it's everything that's supposed to be funny, but, in, uh, you know, was not. But uh, Maleficent, I, I will say, did do very strong internationally. Uh, did $117 million internationally. Well, you know, a note on this... And I spoke on this last week from my European tour. It was really interesting to see the marketing on both films. Right. So certainly it felt like Maleficent had a stronger marketing push. And this is not just internationally, but domestically. So, you know, I saw Maleficent posters in many places, Joker posters and a lot of the PNA of Joker in a lot of different places. But what really blew me away is when I got to New York in JFK. Maleficent was everywhere. Hmm. Everywhere I turned, it was on a screen. Right. It was on a poster. It was on a, you know, the different sizes of posters. I'm on the walkway, the moving walkway, and it's all Maleficent. So there was a strong, strong promotional push that I felt both domestically and internationally. Hmm. So it is interesting to see how that really played out. And then you look at the differences in budgets as well. I mean, what, $55, $60 million for Joker and Maleficent upwards of $145 million or so, right. $150 million. Let's call it $150 plus another $200 million in P&A, you were saying, you know, ads all over the world. So, yeah, they're going to have to make close to, I think they were saying $400 million just to break even. 
Yeah. And then we start to talk about being in the black. So it's it's incredible how each of these major motion pictures and, and Paul Brett had mentioned this a little bit at, at the MMFM. It's similar to the launch of a new vehicle. It's like this is the new model Cadillac that Disney is putting out into the world. And they spend that kind of money, but over such a short period of time, because it's really in the month or two before that you really start to get bombarded by these signs and these images and social media and everything just starts to just pound you all at once because of how important that opening weekend is. Yeah, especially now because you don't have that long to make a mark. You don't. And, you know, look at Gemini Man. They're starting to, you know, pull it out of theaters now already. They are. So they're scheduled to lose, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood I saw a $70 million loss on that one. Yeah, Yeah. that's uh, unfortunate. It's a correction in the market. (laughs) Yeah, and that's what happens. I was reading, you know, there was a and we talked about this movie that that tanked and Joker is really making up the 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 difference um Goldfinch which tanked right. and you know it's the same company Warner Media and so Joker is making that difference up in spades right but ultimately you know this is also a battle between Disney and Warner Media Disney and DC right because Joker is a DC property it doesn't feel like it. The movie definitely doesn't feel like your traditional fare. But it was a hell of a counterpunch. I mean, after years of being bombarded by the Marvel movies and that just dominating and some of the softer openings of some of the other DC films, uh, recently they've done better with Aquaman and obviously Joker. Oh, they the have. Joker. And I, I, I've really talked about this, you know, the, you know, over the past two years or so. The comeback kid, DC. Yeah. And that's, you know, Aquaman, Billion. Wonder Woman, and that was a phenomenal success. And you know, first woman to direct a film such as that, Mm. and you know, that box office um, internationally over eight hundred million dollars. Right. So, and then boom, you have Joker. Joker was a big counterpunch. That was a straight up uppercut to Disney, (laughs) (laughs) especially on the heels of a Maleficent. So, you know, I think Disney was really banking on that to really nullify the effects of Joker heading into the latter parts of October, but didn't really happen. I mean, it's it's now full steam ahead for Joker, and, and it's going to see, you know, I, I believe Maleficent will break even. It'll probably make some money. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's always going to be a marketing tool now for Disney+. Plus and, oh, right. Yeah, and of course. To sort of that streaming library. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely one of those things where I think we realized that we felt with all these acquisitions that Disney was doing that they were just going to dominate the marketplace between mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk a little bit about Star Wars coming up now in Christmas that franchise uh, you talk about Marvel you talk about all the other assets they have within Disney animation all the live action remakes some of which have been misses some have been hits so Aladdin did very well Dumbo not so much uh, Lion King eh. but in the end you know when you have these multinational corporations and then they have the ability whether it's a hit or whether it's a miss right. to take that nugget and move it across these excuse me across the platforms right then that changes the dynamic so you know what's a, a success in something like joker then allows them to have a different type of branding right. for because aquaman had a lighter feel to it shazam which was very successful had a lighter feel to it um even wonder woman you know was not you know that darkness that the dark knights and even uh, Suicide Squad and and um, what's the other movie bef- uh, after that? Justice League. Even the darker turns that those had. Right. Uh, t- Joker then takes it 
as dark as they've ever been. I'm going to go there. But first, you know, we, we get so excited sometimes we forget that this is the Screen Heat Miami podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, J.L. Martinez, along with Kevin Sharpley. And this podcast is brought to you every week by Cinevision, Kajik Multimedia, Miami Media and Film Market, and Camicold. Boom. Boom goes the dynamite. And our guest today is a very talented producer and filmmaker who uh, is the founder of the Bollywood Hollywood production company, Mr. Prashant Shah. Very excited that Kevin got a chance to sit down with him during our ninth annual Miami Media and Film Market this past June. Had some really interesting nuggets. So good work, Kevin, to pull those out of the legendary Bollywood producer, Hollywood producer, Prashant Shah. Yeah, and I'm just going to give this is a precursor to the interview and I talked about it last week. He switched from one industry to another industry. So from the tech industry to what he calls the content industry. And you and you can see really content is what's driving so much of this, that piece of content that goes across all these collaterals and having the ability then to utilize that content to push a narrative and push many different narratives. But I did want to talk about something. Again, this is a very exciting week. Star Wars dropped their last teaser. But before we get away from Joker, I wanted to talk about the Heath Ledger versus Joaquin Phoenix Joker. Controversy. (laughs) I don't know if it's... Well, there is controversy with Jared Leto because they just had this article that came out that said that Jared Leto was trying to kill this next year. Right. I saw that. He was definitely tripped because, you know, he's still involved with that Suicide Squad franchise, right? So... Yeah, I mean, I, I loved his Joker. Yes. And so maybe he's thinking that maybe we shouldn't have more than one Joker at a time kind of deal. Yeah, I think that that's what the article was leaning towards. That was his implying, yeah. And also, again, this Todd Phillips version was supposed to be a smaller film. Right. So... And a prequel. And, yeah, and that too. And so I'm sure no one anticipated this type of return. Right. And yeah. so that does change the dynamics, really. Yes. I, I think essentially making Joaquin Phoenix the go-to Joker. I think so. I think everyone has been overly impressed uh, with this performance in particular by Joaquin Phoenix. And, and yes, there are always going to be comparisons to the previous Jokers. What do you think? I'm putting oh, you on the spot. Man, this is a hard Ledger one. versus Phoenix. My goodness, I'm going to have to give the edge to Phoenix and I'll tell you why. Because I saw, you know, I thought Heath's performance was was brilliant, but I saw a little bit of Jack's performance in Heath's performance. Uh, I felt like he did borrow somewhat from that 1989 character in the Tim Burton version. And so I felt like he definitely made it his own, but I felt like he did borrow some from that particular uh, interpretation of the character, whereas mm-hmm. Joaquin's was wholly original. Yeah. Um, I want to say that for me, I can understand Heath Ledger's performance was also encapsulated within the dynamics of the film. Right. So he did have a very, his performance was original in every stretch of the, the imagination. But he still had to work within a specific parameter. And that parameter had a lot to do with the interaction of him and Batman. And his character has already been fully formed. Mm. In this case, um, and as an actor myself, you know, the development of character 
is one of the most important parts in terms of getting to what, where a character is. Right. And you could see the entire development. Well, not the entire. Well, well, really? Yeah, because, well, you can see the development right. of the Joker character right before your eyes. Yes. And so that also changes the dynamic a bit. And I think, you know, ultimately can make it a little bit more challenging to bring that, you know, to the screen. No, it does. Yeah, because it's definitely for this character, Uncharted Waters. And, you know, credit obviously to the script as well. Uh, The character was written in such a way that it just, you know, opened the door for Joaquin's interpretation of being, you know, less of this sort of charismatic, larger than life figure, but really just being a reactive character that just kind of fell into this role because of how hard life had been hitting him since he was a child. Yeah. And I do think that Joaquin has a little crazy in him. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You, could, you definitely see that, you know, he was willing to go all the way, you know, between the weight loss and just the way that, you know, obviously a method actor in that sense. And, you know, stories from what happened on set and how he would just kind of walk off set sometimes and just had to go into this little universe, uh, you know, similar to when Jim Carrey did Man on the Moon where he just right. kind of disappeared yeah. into yeah, that role. Yeah. And you really didn't see Joaquin Phoenix. You just really saw this kind of scared middle-aged guy, young guy, I guess, still living with his parents, his mom, or, you know, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but <laughs> living with a parental figure <laughs> and just really just getting... He just gave it away. Literally kicked in the streets to the point where he just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, uh, King of New York, you know, and... The homage and right you know, taxi we driver. Don't want, we, we don't want to give away too much, so. right? But th- that's all the stuff that's out there. And you can see just visually from the trailer and the poster that there is just sort of this this uh, homage to these very gritty '70s, early '80s uh, films. You know, from from the Scorsese. And I have to give one more shout out, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro, De Niro yeah. he blew it up. Bobby D, how you doing? <laughs> huh? Eh, you good? That's it. You looking at me? That's it. There's nobody else around. Nobody else around. That was improv, by the way, I heard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we like know that. Yeah. The famous taxi Goodfellas driver scene. Yeah, taxi driver. And uh, that's, I like that Scorsese allows his actors to play. I and think just, the best performances come from that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The so actors are allowed to flesh out the character. Um, but we're going to get to actors, specifically actresses. I want to talk about Prashant's latest movie. Yes. So he has a new film called Jungle Cry. And it's an interesting story about a group of ragtag Indian rugby junior players who wind up winning the World Cup in the UK, the Junior Rugby World Cup. So it's definitely a, a David versus Goliath, Rocky type story. And to tie it all in, it's very similar thematically, I think, to the guest we had last week, Critical Thinking. Yeah, that's right. Except underdog story. The underdog, the great underdog story that we always love to tell and can't get enough of. So, uh, yes, Prashant produced that film. They shot it, uh, a lot of it in, in Wales, actually, in the UK, and obviously in, in India. And so Emily, his daughter, Emily Shaw. His lovely daughter starred in the movie. Plays a huge role in that film and, and did a phenomenal job. She was at our conference this year, too. And what a, what a great young actor that's coming up right now. And, you know, big ups to, to her family for, you know, just really exploring this creative space. And she's doing great. Yeah, she's definitely one to look out for. Mm-hmm. That's for certain. And if you don't know about Bollywood, one of the biggest markets in the world, some say they make more movies than Hollywood. I think that's a fact. They, I mean, in terms of sheer output, 
They are still number one, I believe. But there is another player, Nollywood. That's right. Nigeria. Nigeria also. And it's it's very interesting how much content they put out as well. They produce a ton of movies. So that's what I was going to say. Some people say Nigeria Hmm. puts out more movies than Bollywood. Right. Now, yes. And it, it makes sense. And so, you know, obviously, because of Hollywood, we were just talking about their global marketing presence and power all over the world. It The perception is that Hollywood is always number one. And I think in terms of perhaps total box office, in, term, in, in impact, terms of money, yeah, right. but in terms of sheer output. And now, obviously, to be fair, a lot of the the Nollywood and Bollywood movies are made for the local market. Right. So, yeah, it's, so uh, they don't play as well globally. Correct. Yeah, there are some films that will cross over, and I think Prashant Shah, because of the Bollywood-Hollywood thing, does tend to make films with more universal message with that kind of crossover appeal. But th- that's really the exception rather than the rule over there. Well, if you go back to my interview with Paul Brett, Paul Brett does talk a lot about the African market and that being a market as the next phase. Because it's not just, you know, what you see in the theaters, it's what you see on all the screens, whether it's your laptop Mm. or whether it's your tablet or your phone. And, you know, these mobile phones are becoming even more prevalent in places like Africa and India. And, you know, and so those markets are expanding greatly. And so Africa is becoming an even more important market as India, as China. This global market is... I think uh, the international market, I think um, it's just going to become more and more important, you know, every day. Oh, yeah. And especially with these huge multinational corporations that are moving this content across all these platforms. So certainly, you know, after the break, after the interview, we want to talk about what's happening with the streaming wars. I know we keep talking about it. Yes. But um, how Star Wars plays into this whole, you know, Disney Plus. Right. And how films like Maleficent and now the Joker and where that's going to take DC, how all of this plays into the bigger picture of things. That's exciting. So, yeah, let's let's get Prashant's perspective on this, uh, do the interview, and then we'll come back with a lot of interesting things, including a special little origin story with how Prashant got involved with the Miami Media and Film Market by our co-founder, uh, Patty Arias of The Market. She's Looking coming forward in. to that. Yeah, it's going to be great. OK, here we go. Okay, we are live. First of all, thank you very much for doing this. You're welcome. Uh, can you tell me your name, please? Uh, uh, my name is Prashant Shah, okay. and my company is called Bollywood Hollywood Production. What a great name. Thank you. Uh, was it easy to trademark that? Was it hard? Because that seems like a name someone would pick up very quickly. I registered and trademarked it back in 1999. Uh, when the software industry was booming in the United States and worldwide because the year 2000 was coming up and everybody had this fear of the Y2K and the computers are going to die or crash and systems are going to go crazy. So I realized because of my passion in entertainment business and at that time I used to run a software company and I said, the domain, internet, domain, registration, all that was going crazy off the roof. Everybody was trying to figure out how to have a new address in life. People had business card, people had phone numbers, people had physical address. The next phase of communication to people connect with was going to be through internet. 
because it is, does not matter where I live, where I work, but here's my email ID, connect me, and I can contact you in the middle of the island, wherever I am. So having keeping that notion in mind, I said the next big thing I see coming after the software industry is going to be the content industry because cell phones are becoming, they were the size of a brick at that time. People used to carry, it looked like a big Motorola brick phone and then became a flip phone. And then when the first text messaging started happening, it was from pager, phone number coming up on your pager to a text message coming up saying, hey, what time are you reaching? And you read that text, and I said, okay, now if the text is coming on a screen, pretty soon there'll be moving images coming on the screen. And then that will become the next big phenomenon of content because everybody will start looking at content on their devices. And I said, so I need to create a company that can generate a content for the handheld devices between two continents and Bollywood was big, it's still the number one film industry in the world, and Hollywood is, of course, the biggest mentor to the world in cinema, so I created that name, thinking that I will become the conduit as a bridge between two industries called Bollywood Hollywood. And that's why I named it Bollywood Hollywood. You know, that's incredible because really that is the way the industry is transformed. Yes, it has. And people no longer really say, people who know, no longer really say television. They say content. They say episodic. Or streaming. Or streaming. Yes. Right. So we're going to circle back to that. Okay. And I had to jump right in because we were already in, in, in that particular moment. Yes. But where are we right now? Well, right now we are in a phase where I'm trying to figure out a solution for film industry where if I have to work with a talent, let's say Tom Cruise, and he's a busy actor, he's a very expensive actor, I may not have the budget to pay him for six months of a salary because that's what a film with him would take. So I would go to Tom Cruise and say, Tom, I need... I don't need you for six months or a year. I just need you for one day in my room and I'm gonna do a body scan on you and you're gonna give me five expressions or seven emotions on your face and you're gonna do actions like you're punching somebody, you're fighting, you're hand fighting, fist fighting, you're riding a motorbike. So I'm gonna do all these extraction of your body movements and scan your image and you can go and with his scan images I want to create the entire film using his digital hologram and create the film so I don't need Tom Cruise at 10 million dollar I can give him half a million and say just come in for one day and then I can recreate Tom Cruise as per my scene requirements and change his wardrobe or whatever I need. So the industry has evolved that much. It has, and it will, because uh, today if I can see you sitting in Australia through a cell phone, through WhatsApp or FaceTime and whatever, and I have a live feed of where you are, or your phone device tells me your shared location, where you physically are, which restaurant you're having food at, so it's 
doing a geo tracking, which means it's geographically tracking you and bringing your image. So why not I create the same thing into cinema industry where I say, you as an audience are watching Mission Impossible, but you you're from Haiti and your background is Haitian, and you don't speak this language, and you don't have Tom Cruise as your main hero or action hero, but you have a local Tom Cruise. Let's change that guy from the original Tom Cruise and bring your cinema in. So instead of calling it a dubbing in your language, we will transform the actors in your language with your local region and bring the local geo or geo-local nuances that somebody can relate and connect saying, oh yeah, this looks like my neighborhood or this is my hero or this is my film. So that is something that's going to evolve. Um, how far off do you think we are from there? Oh, probably 10 years or less. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Do a lot of people know about this? I don't, I don't think people... I mean, audience will not know, but people who are into media content and as far as also in technology, they will. They even like when I'm what I'm talking right now, somebody is already working on it somewhere. Because if I can think, somebody is thinking smarter than me and making it, and has a team or has infrastructure or has people, or maybe a game that's coming out. So the tech industry, is that's your background. Is that where you came from? Can you talk a little bit about where you're from and how your career evolved? What brought you here? Okay. Yeah, so I started a... Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry, where are you Where are you from? Originally, I'm from India, Bombay. Uh-huh. It, now it's called Mumbai. So I grew up over there, and as a kid, uh, at age 12, I started doing stand-up in my school. And from my school, I got picked up by an agent or a manager and he introduced me to commercial side of performance as opposed to performing for school or during my annual event. And I started working and performing as a stand-up comedian and as a dancer and as a choreographer uh, from age 14 until age 19 and that made me travel around the world. And I performed a little over 3,000 performances live stage performances. And that brought me an opportunity to work around a lot of uh, talented artists, whether they're from the motion picture, they're from television, they're from music industry, musicians, singers, actors, directors, producers, because when you are on a stage, you have general audience that come and watch your performance, and then you have people from the industry who come and watch. And they're usually there as a chief guest because, hey, there is a Miami fundraising. We are doing a show with Pink Floyd. And now uh, John Travolta happens to be in Miami. Let's bring him as a chief guest. Or Angela Jolie is coming in. Let's bring them as a chief guest. So celebrities come and see you. And then that got me interacting into the motion picture business. And eventually that connected me into the whole film industry. And... By age 19, I was uh, working as an assistant director on a movie. But simultaneously, I became a model, became an actor. So the whole journey started into entertainment and media. And creatively, then I started my own uh, VHS business at that time. Because the VHS that looked like piano, the VHS player and the tapes. And I started into the rental business at age 20, 
because it had connectivity with entertainment. So while I was performing, while I was acting, while I was doing modeling and so forth, but I had made enough money to start a business on the side, and that business was the first of its kind, I started something called home delivery of VHS, which means you don't go to Blockbuster, you don't come to my showroom to pick up, or to my store to pick up your tapes, you just call and and you ask what are the latest release, and I give you the latest release, and, and you say, okay, yeah, send me these five movies, for the weekend and so it was a home delivery business that I started, something new, which today is called Netflix and streaming, it comes to your home digitally. <laughs> but Netflix did that before, exactly. you know, exactly. not VHS, I mean, that's a, can you imagine? Yeah, well, you know the story of Netflix, the whole reason why Netflix started. I've heard a lot of different the, well, stories. The fa- fact is only one that the, the founder of Netflix, he had rented some VHS tapes from Blockbuster. That's the one I know. And then he was, late in sending it back and they charged him penalty and he said well you shouldn't be charging such a high penalty and there's an argument and he said well let me start something so people don't have to pay penalty and they can keep watching so that's the birth of Netflix yeah I also heard that Blockbuster had an opportunity to buy Netflix at one point yes and Blockbuster said that who's going to watch movies on their devices because people it's called home entertainment well they didn't realize the entertainment is today in the hands right called devices but you knew I knew yes <laughs> so your VHS company then my VHS company then it started growing and I had uh, multiple outlets and I had uh, high school kids delivering VHS because everybody was watching the movies late in the afternoon or early evening so I had school kids on their bicycle going and dropping off VHS and making money so earn while you learn so I started that at age 20 and then became quite successful in that and I sold that business venture and then I moved to Africa. Uh, I'd gone there to perform and uh, ended up staying over there until for four years and uh, after working in Africa, in Nairobi, Kenya, East Africa. And after working over there for four years, there was a big military coup that took place, which was uh, telling all the civilians to get out because the army had taken over the country. So I went back to India, worked again on a film as an AD, as an assistant director. But shortly after that, I traveled to England for some work. And then from England, it brought me to US. And then it was into the US, going into the corporate environment, working in the corporate world. So I did that journey and then got into IT business of my own, created a software company. And eventually it was time when uh, it was getting too competitive into the technology business. And Would you care to say what type of tech? It was biometrics. So oh. it was uh, to do with fingerprint and nobody was believing into it because it was pre-9-11. Yeah, but I mean, that's so, everything now. Now, correct. But at that time, nobody wanted to do that. Like, why am I giving you my fingerprint? And why do I need my voice recognition? And why do I need my iris to open a door? Or why should I look into an eye hole so it recognizes my eye and it opens the door? So nobody wanted to believe in that. So we tried working on those technologies. But uh, eventually, we got frustrated because of lack of time or lack of patience with my partners. And 
we got out of that. If you would have just held out. Yeah, yeah, but again, I look at it this way that if I would have held out, I would have become very successful into owning an IT company and saying, okay, I invented or I created or I discovered as opposed to I would rather do what I do now because that involves music, involves science, involves songs, involves reaching out to people and delivering a message that yeah. feels good to heart. I'm a big believer in, you know, your path goes where yeah. it goes. Yeah. So so that's why I, I shut down the IT company in 99 and I said, let me start the new software company. What I see happening big will be content because technically that is a software. It sits on your phone and it, you watch it and you have fun with it. The most watched screen. Yes. That's what I say. There are more cinema in people's hand than cinema theaters out there. There are six billion theaters in people's hand. Wow. Yet, your films are big in scope. Yes. They're big blockbusters from yeah. the ones that I've seen. Big blockbusters. Yeah, so I mean, can you talk about you know that evolution, how you... Did you start with small little films? Did you yeah. go straight in? No, no, no. It, I started very small. And it was uh, I had a conception what I wanted to do. It's like you know you want to be into restaurant business because you love food and you love feeding people. So you have a determination what you want to do. But you say, okay, right now I'm working at T-Mobile store. I'm working. I'm doing a job because that's what I want to do. Or I'm doing whatever a job to put the bread on the table. But you passionately have a desire to do something in you. So I started believing in my desire and and started following my desire. And uh, accidentally it brought me in a situation where I was in New York City and uh, meeting an uncle of mine who wanted to move back to India to open up hotel chains. And he said there's so many hotel opportunities happening in India because India is or is having a global robust uh, industry growth because of technology, because of outsourcing, because of this, because of that. So there's enough money spending power and all these companies are doing training and sessions. So there are a lot of hotel requirements coming up. So why don't you go with me and start the hotel business? And I said, well, if I had to go back and get into hotel or anything, I have no desire for that. So while I'm talking to him, my table next to me where I'm having breakfast with my uncle and there is a very big Bollywood actor sitting and having a conversation with the hotel manager of the property saying that, uh, hey, do you know anybody that can help me because I'm here with my actors and my entire crew and because of 9-11, New York City is not allowing me to film with my camera because of the threat and the fear. And the hotel manager said, well, I don't know, but what happened to the guy you had, your line producer? And he said, well, my line producer is not replying my calls and he doesn't know how to say no. Maybe he doesn't have an answer. He doesn't have a solution. So he's just disappeared. And I hope he's alive and hope he's not part of 9-11 victim and hope he's okay. So he's not answering my call, but what do I do? And this was a meeting. When I heard this, it was exactly a month after 9-11. This was in October when I heard this conversation at the table next to me. So I was listening, not eavesdropping, but I was next table, so I was hearing, and he's a big actor, so of course I was a little, not fascinated, but I was like, wow, this 
It's a legend sitting over here. It's like he was like uh, Gregory Peck of India. And he's known as Gregory Peck of India, like big legend actor and a producer and a director in a big studio. So after I finished my meeting with my uncle, I said, all right, let's go. I'm not interested. I'll think about it. He left. I left. I walked out of the hotel, went towards my train station in New York, turned around, made a U-turn, came back to that hotel, and I saw that actor still sitting. And although the manager was not there, who he was speaking with, and uh, I walked up to him and I said, I understand you are planning to film in New York City and you have some trouble. He's, what happened? And so he explained to me, he said, listen, I was supposed to start shooting. This was pre-planned six, seven months ago. So I brought my crew, my team, my actors with all their dates. Unfortunate situation has happened in New York because of 9-11, but I did not know that I cannot shoot. And nobody told me, and my line producer did not tell me this. And now I don't have permission to film in the city. And I'm sitting in this hotel with about 35 people and local crew of another 30 people. And I don't know what to do. And it's been only four days. It's already been four days and I don't have any answers. So I said, do you want me to try? And he said, what do you mean you, do you want to try? I said, well, I would like to try. Let me give it a shot and see. Let me see if I can get you permission to film. So he's like, sure. Let me call my manager. So he calls the room, calls the manager down, and his manager comes in and like, interviews me, kind of uh, asking me, what do I know about it? Have I done it before? I said, no, I've never done all, anything like this. But I understand creative. I understand cinema. I understand filmmaking. So I went to the mayor's office, Giuliani at that time, of New York City, and uh, he was not there, so his secretary was there. And they said, what would you need? I said, well, I need permission to film. They said, you'll have to go to the film office and take the permission. I said, yeah, but if I go there, they're not gonna give me a permit because of the situation. No cameras allowed in the city. And I have a legend filmmaker from overseas who's a foreign filmmaker showcasing New York and his film. So I think you should allow me to film because it will become a postcard to be seen by a billion people out there. And right now, New York City needs promotion. So she said, why don't you wait? Let me see what I can do for you. She came back after 15 minutes and said, go to the film office. I've spoken to them and the mayor will make a call if need be, but they should give you the permission to film. And except for the ground zero area, we'll give you blanket permission to film in New York City. So I went back to the office, got the permission. This was by then, it was four o'clock in the evening or afternoon. Went back to the hotel, met with the guy, with the producer, legend. And I said, here's your permit. We have everything in place, but I need a script. And he said, I don't have a script. <laughs> so yeah, my last film was uh, 35 mil. The film I worked in in uh, Miami that was uh, it was made for a little under under 11, under 11 mil 11 million and by the time it did box office theatrical uh, satellite television digital platform initially with Netflix then with another digital platform out of India uh, has combined now pretty much gone up to 100 mil Wow so that's a lot of return on investment 
Yeah, yeah, for the investors, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so what are some of the films that you've worked on that maybe some people don't know, some that people know? Uh, I worked, I mean, there are a couple of films that are out right now. It's on Netflix called Zero. Uh, So that's the latest, and that's on Netflix. Pretty much uh, it's trending on Netflix. Then I have done a film uh, that was... uh, produced a few years ago it was a very big Bollywood film and it's called My Name is Khan it was uh, the ticket to Fox Studios to enter India and it was uh, one of the biggest box office uh, worldwide and uh, a great film a great message great story Uh, human felt uh, it touches your heart and it also uh, makes the society look that you know you should not uh, discriminate or should not form an opinion and every every community or every religion or every aspect of life have good, bad and ugly. So if somebody, if you say, hey, I don't want to live in that neighborhood because they're bad people, well, there's no bad people. It's just one person may be bad on that street does not make the entire street bad. So let's talk about the bridge between Hollywood and Bollywood. Sure. You know, and that synergy and then we'll be done and advice to people after that and then we'll be done. Yeah, so the synergy today between Bollywood, Hollywood, and uh, the whole reason uh, we are at MMFM, and this is something conceptually, when we started this uh, entity called MMFM, I remember it was on a piece of paper on a napkin at a lunch. Me and Patty were talking about how to and what to do. Patricia Arias, she's the managing uh, member, director of MMFM and Chemical. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were just toying the idea, like, what should we do? And I said, why don't we do something like Cannes? Because it's the French Riviera. We have South Beach. Do something with Miami, with the beach. And instead of a red carpet, let's do green carpet. uh, Or let's do blue carpet, which is coming on a boat and making our guests come to the boat and make a glass uh, walkway or a ramp to audience to walk in and create the blue carpet and the blue is the actual the water of the Miami Sea of the Gulf or the ocean so it was mainly uh, the whole goal the goal and perspective was to create uh, entity that bridges between Bollywood Hollywood Latin America South America because Miami is a gateway to South America and Latin America and those people who are making content in South and Latin America they need a platform for them, New York is too far or London is too far, but Miami is right around the corner for them, and this is their gateway to come to America. So why not we bridge between Bollywood, which is making highest number of films, a little over 1,500 films a year. Then we have Hollywood, that is making about four or 500 films a year. And then we have South America and Latin America, which is making little over 200, 300 types of different telenovelas, television shows, movies, and content. And how can we bridge between these three continents and create a platform that becomes a revolution for entertainment because music and entertainment or visuals does not need a language. I mean, if you look at children, they can watch cartoons without a language and they understand everything that's happening in that animation. So we humans are the same animation, but speak a language, and people form an opinion based on the language, but they, when they see a film without the volume, they can even understand. They pretty much understand 90% or 75% of the film, but just visualizing it. 
So entertainment, watching visuals is as equally easy to understand as music is because music doesn't have language. It connects to your heart, connects to your mind, and you connect. So we wanted to make that connection, and that's how MMFM was conceptualized. Conceptualized. Conceptualized, and it was born. And uh, the go- And at that time, I had made a film with a very big Mexican actress, Barbara Mori. She has a big television show called Ruby in Mexico. And so she was the lead actress of one of my film. And uh, we had a very big Bollywood actor in the film. The film was shot in Las Vegas in New Mexico. And it was about she speaks only Spanish. He speaks only Hindi and English. But in love, there is no language. And that was the year when MMFM we started. And it was basically to bring Bollywood actor, film shot in Hollywood with a Mexican actress. So there was a Latin Spanish flavor, there was a Bollywood flavor, and then Brett Ratner edited my film. And it was called Kites. So it was Brett Ratner who's native of Miami and a big Hollywood name, uh, producer, director. So that was a perfect example of creating a tri or three continent part as one media content. So Bollywood is, you know, the biggest producer of feature films in the yes. world. Yes, that is correct. And has a robust industry. Yes. Hollywood, of course, is a big industry in and of itself. Yes. Um, so just very briefly, and then, and then we'll bring it on because I know you have a, your, your panel. Just very briefly. Um, so... I see that your films have, you know, this huge feel about them, this huge cinematic feeling about them, as a lot of Hollywood movies have this huge cinematic feel about them. Is there a difference between working on Hollywood films that have that huge cinematic feel and Bollywood films that have that huge cinematic feel? Well, they both... uh They both work towards the same common goal, to make it a visually grand-looking film. The difference between the two entities, the way they work conceptually is Hollywood is very methodical. It goes by the book. It goes by, I told you we'll shoot this scene, these lines have to be written, and you have to read these lines, and that's it. Whereas in in Bollywood, it's an organized chaos. I have worked on several Bollywood films where I read the script the day before, the night before the shoot for the following day, the scene is broken down. Everything, all the requirements are on the call sheet. You get on the set and the director says, I'm changing the scene at this location and I'm shooting this particular scene instead of that scene which is on the call sheet and gets the actor ready all the requirements that we had is no longer the requirement. There's a new requirement that was supposed to be for that scene, which was supposed to happen a week later. So my job becomes the most challenging at that point. So I feel like I'm that vending machine. They think that no matter what they say, I'll get it. So that is the main difference between the two ways of working. Whereas Hollywood, I can get a film done in 30, 35 days. 
the same project, if I have to do the Bollywood version, it'll probably take me 60 days. Because then 20 days will go into, oh, we need to put some music. We need to have some dance. And we need to have some party music. So adds up. It's like, why are we putting this song over here? Well, because the girl saw the boy and the boy saw the girl and their heart started beating and we should have a musical romantic song over here. Okay, so now let's look for location. And when do you want to shoot? Uh, I think at 9 o'clock we should shoot. We should start rolling. So you're telling me at 7 o'clock in the morning on location that we need to start rolling camera to start a choreography. And you need. And what else do you need besides the location? Uh, about 200 dancers. Oh, great. And make sure there are no Indian dancers. Oh, what do you mean? Oh, well, because we are shooting in Miami, so they have to look American. Well, she's not Indian. She's from Uruguay. No, but she looks Indian. Well, she's not. Well, no, no, but we need blonde blue. Well, that's not Miami. Well, it's okay. Our audience thinks Miami means it's people that don't look like us. So then you have these challenges. That's producing. Yeah. <laughs> but we make sure by the end of the day we have everything that we needed and we shot what we wanted. Got it. Wow. Yep. So... So those are the challenges. The Bollywood producing cap is four caps. Yeah, yeah. Bollywood producing is like, have you ever felt that you're so hungry and you go in front of the fridge, you open the fridge and you just stare? <laughs> That's what Bollywood is, filmmaking is like. You have the fridge, which is your call sheet and your script and you open it and you just say, what do I shoot today? <laughs> So um, my last question, and that's great because we all we love Bollywood films, you know, and, you know, over the past, you know, 15 years, you know, they've just grown in popularity. So yes. everyone to that note, I'll say that, you know, Spanish is a second official language in the United States. French is a second official language in Canada, but neither in Canada nor in the United States. Every Friday, there's no Spanish film and there's no French film that opens every Friday in North America. Every Friday, three films open at theaters in North America from Bollywood. That makes 150 films are released in theaters in North America from Bollywood. And if you have to take an average of $1 million box office, that's about 150 million Bollywood is pumping into the U.S. economy at the box office and not counting the concessions of the popcorns and the sodas. Wow, that's great. Um Definitely did not know. I'm, I'm sure most people don't accept, you know, producers that need to get the ROA back to their investors. Um, advice. Advice would be only one if you are into film business. So if you want to be into films or entertainment or content or web series, whatever you call it. Uh, but if you need to be in entertainment business or you think of getting into it, just follow your dream and work on your dream. Don't sleep too long. Otherwise, you will miss the shine of the moon all right we're back in yes good job my friend thank you sir that was awesome prashant made it easy he did yeah he's a he seems like he's a easygoing guy a lot of information that he enjoys getting out into the world so what i really loved was how prashant took us on this journey and it was the journey of also the transformation of the marketplace and it's become so difficult now i mean i can imagine you know figuring out what you're going to do with your product and your content but now 
there's so many different moving parts. So to hear Prashant and his journey really helps you to put these things together. Oh, it definitely does. And, and sort of how ahead of his time he was in terms of digital technology and how the mobile screen was going to become so vastly important. And now we see the result of that with Netflix now going another $2 billion in debt to fund another They're going account. low. They're going low. And so much competition coming into the marketplace now between Apple Plus and uh, Disney, Disney Plus, Plus and Warner Media with HBO Max. Plus, 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 plus. Amazon's doing their thing, you know. And so all of that means that that they have but they have assets netflix only has netflix yeah they're not a telecom company they don't own theme parks they don't have any other way of justifying their existence other than to produce more content and get more subscribers yeah two billion dollars in debt yeah well it's it's a big gamble but it's a high stakes game yeah i mean they've done phenomenally they changed the market so yeah yeah so it's it's seeing one of disney's big acquisitions now uh it's going to rear its interesting head again the star wars franchise coming back this christmas that last teaser man interesting huh felt it you felt the emotion i felt all star wars history in that teaser it felt almost like a montage of the entire nine part man you had luke you could feel han solo Even uh, Billy D. Williams. Oh yeah, Billy D. <laughs> he coming back. He looks, still looks good. He looks like <laughs> he looks great. He looks like nineteen eighties Billy D. Yeah. Did they de-age him? <laughs> they might have. That could have been some Irishman in there. Yeah, Should maybe. ask Dean Lyon. Maybe he knows. Nah, I'm gonna ask. <laughs> we gotta know. Insiders game. Yes. But certainly that last teaser, they saved the best for last. It felt powerful. And I was looking at some of the comments, and really people. I mean, I think that this film has the potential. And you heard it first on Screen Heat Miami. To go the two billion plus. Wow. Two billion at the box office. Uncharted territory. I have a feeling it is going to be a bonanza like no one has ever seen. Because you're marrying something which is the history and the lineage and the last film with something that looks phenomenal. Right. You know? And I really did enjoy, you know, the first two or the last two or, you know, you get confused about it. Right. So I think that this is going to bring it all together. And some of the comments, you know, people are like, all oh, my life, you know, I have dedicated to this. The and culmination. I mean, think about something that started in the 70s. Now we're going into like the third decade. Right. 80s, 90s. Yeah. So three, four decades, generations of people now that have grown up on this franchise. And it's it's like a part of their family. Everyone's going to come out to see. It. Oh, this. Yeah, you're right. Numerous times. This could be huge. Yeah. So, yeah, international, everything great. But I. I'm excited to bring a special guest. Speaking of international. Yes, our, our international woman of mystery, uh, the the co-founder and the chief executive of the Miami Media and Film Market, Miss Patty Arias. Hey. Hi. Woo. My first time on Screen Heat Miami. I'm so excited. Yeah, Woo. We should have brought some champagne in. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I don't know. We'll I'm always up for end. champagne. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, we're excited to bring you in. And, you know, obviously, and thank you again, uh, the MMFM is a major sponsor of this uh, podcast. We were able to capture a lot of these interviews at the last Miami Media and Film Market, including our good friend, Prashant Shah. Our dear friend, Prashant, is the one who's basically responsible for the MMFM concept. How so? Uh, Prashant and I met in Berlin. I had uh, received some seed monies to start studying the possibility of doing a film market or a film festival with Latin America, but I'm Latin, so in the beginning, I wanted to steer 
clear of the Latin American thing. And I've always been a big fan of, of Bollywood. And um, my dear friends, Phil Florida, Graham Winnick, and Jeff Peel, they said, hey, you know, we were really good friends of Prashant Shah, who had shot Dosana here in Miami. And uh, he's a big uh, Bollywood producer, and he works with Reliance. And he was premiering My Name is Khan with Shah Rukh Khan at the time. So uh, we met. We met at an Austrian restaurant in Berlin, and we just hit it off. And ever since then, you know, he's my mentor. He's our mentor. He came. We did the first mini MMFM was just a panel uh, that we did with everybody. And then the next year, we just launched with Prashant, and Bollywood was our first country. And we had the people here from from Reliance when they had just bought DreamWorks. Right. So that was a really, we really like launched with a bang. Good That's timing. Huge. Yeah, yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, did Prashant have any suggestions as to how you should start MMFM, some of the things that you should touch on? Yeah, you know, it was like basically the, the framework that we're using now, which was always to go global, to reach out, to have an educational component, to don't forget, you know, the small people and to always be have a, an event where everybody was accessible to everybody and everybody, which is basically what MMFM is because everybody that goes to MMFM can hang out and meet everybody who's like the panelists or all the people that we bring. So that was that was what Prashant's main mantra, you could say, was that, you know, make it real, keep it real, make it trendy, look at the trends, look what's happening and, and go global. Yeah, that, and that's great because we have been talking a lot about the global marketplace and international marketplace, which, you know, had said it's become more important, but it is important that it that's what it is now. It's mm-hmm. the international marketplace. And I talked about how, you know, traveling in Europe, I see the marketing for a lot of these films. Now it was Maleficent and Joker and seeing, you know, the posters for these things in London. And then you see them in Italy and then you see them in they change a bit. But you can understand just how important these markets are. So Prashant was on point. Well, he was the producer to a film, which is is the name of the film is Kites. And Brett Ratner did the re-edit. And the film is spoken in English, Tamil, and Spanish, and Hindi. So when I and he it was shot in Vegas and it was one of the first new Bollywood films that weren't the traditional, you know, Bollywood dance a fond things. Right. And it was just your Barbara Mori was the uh, uh, Latin actress, Latina actress that was in the film. And I went, wow, look at all the languages in this movie. And it's really cool. And it was a big hit. And Brett Ratner did the, you know, the re-edit. And um, that's really cool. I mean, this, but this was, we're talking about 12, 11, 12 years ago, a long time ago. That was before Babel. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. That was interesting thematically. Yeah. But but yeah, that that was a very cool project. And and we were just commenting in the intro how Prashant definitely has more of a universal appeal. Like, you know, he, he understands the Bollywood world, but it seems like his themes are bigger, more mainstream Hollywood type stories, including his latest one, Jungle Cry. Yeah. Uh, which is shot primarily in Wales in the UK. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, an underdog story that could have been told anywhere in the world. It could have been directed by Clint Eastwood and put out by Warner Brothers. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's his sensibility 
is very much in that sort of Hollywood milieu. Yeah, he was a real trendsetter because I mean we'd be driving in the car and he you know he he is one of the hardest working people I have ever met. The man works 24 hours of the day and he's always like you know cutting a deal. He's always hustling. He's always pushing forward. And um, but his projects at a time when Bollywood was still trying to do projects that were the typical Bollywood theme, Prashant was always pushing it forward and and he did have like a petite issue with reliance at a time and then he went on his own he did a lot he worked for another production company and they did desert queen with nicole kidman and his daughter was also assistant to clint eastwood i mean for 10 years prashant really went out of the Bollywood milieu and then right. he went back in with uh, right. with Jungle Cry. Right. So, and it's hard to follow him. I don't know if he's going to be in Mumbai or London or Miami. Right. Yeah, this is the, the nature of the producer, right? Constantly moving around. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the international producer. There you go. Yep. <laughs> international. Little man of mystery. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, no, this was great and thank you so much for, for sharing the story of how, you know, Prashant came into the, the, the MMFM family. I think it's you know it's great to see how all of our colleagues go out there and do great things but always kind of are willing to come back and share and and really develop new projects and ideas here in, in the hometown. Well, that's why this year we named him Chairman Emeritus of, of MMFM, because really without him, there would have been no Great. no MMFM. He's and cool. Well-deserved. Yeah. Thank so this will be guys. your last plug. Uh, so the 10th anniversary <laughs> coming up in June. Yeah, that's right. Right. It's going to be a big one. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. You know who we should get for the 10th one? Because I almost forgot and it just popped into my head. Someone who's part of the family. He's more part of your family, hmm. JM and Patty, than he is of mine. But hopefully, I can be considered an honorary Cuban. <laughs> Oscar Isaacs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh we got to get him. Oscar, if you're listening to this podcast, you're recruited. <laughs> Come on yeah. down. Come on home. Come into the MMFM vortex. Yes. <laughs> There'll be cafecitos and Cuba Libres waiting for you. Whoa, man. <laughs> Definitely right. with the... Cuban touch on it. Yes. But, you know, it's been great to watch his career and the rise of his career. Yeah. And to see him in that teaser, man. I know. To see the homeboy out there and doing such a huge thing and just thinking that, yeah, he was just, you know, a kid growing up in the streets of Miami. In Miami. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's he's out there and he's really, really one of the most sought after uh, in the industry right now. Mm -hmm. So We got to bring him home. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) I I think we've fluffed him up enough that he's... (laughs) (laughs) He's excited. He's, He's... He's piqued his interest, I think, so. There you go. Uh, So, yeah, this has been a great, great, great session. I can't wait for next week. Do we want to say who we're bringing on board? Um, I think that we can go ahead and drop it. Mr. Eric Gennard. That's right. (gasps) Next week, we have another local producer who has uh, stuck it out here in Miami for many years and is the uh, producer of the hit Nickelodeon series, I Am Frankie. And he's also developing other series that he's going to be speaking about as well. Uh, And what a story. What a story. Yeah. Became a PA at 31. At 31, yes. Running a successful small business selling Cuban appliances like cafecitos and and, and all over the country. You're kidding. He had a distribution company with his family just selling, you know, Cuban products all over the country and was doing very well financially. Had a family, two young kids. Uh, but he, you know, I don't want to give away too You're much. You're giving it away. I know, but it's it's a great story how he You're just, giving him the whole cow. I'm not giving him the whole cow. That's that's enough to say. <laughs> 
I'm giving less than that last Star Wars teaser. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yes. But yeah, yes. To, to see how he made that jump to the industry is going to be fascinating. you got to hear this story. you got to listen to it. So, we'll, all three of us will sign off uh, for Screen Heat Miami. Kevin Sharpley. Patty Arias. And J.L. Martinez. We'll see you in the next one. Boom.